Welcome to the Community Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is a part of a series entitled, What If? For more information about our church, visit cccsterling.org. What if? What if you were to die today? And after asking that question, the very first thing that I'm going to do is take authority over the spirit of fear. Because according to the experts, death and fear go hand in hand. In fact, fear of death is listed as one of the top three fears among all people of all ages. The other two, what I'm doing right now, public speaking, and as you well know, spiders. Most people have a fear of the unknown. And let's face it, we can talk about death and speculate about it, but when push comes to shove, none of us really know what death is like. If we did, we wouldn't be here. We would be dead. Not alive to talk about it. And I know that there are some stories being told today of people who have allegedly died and gone to heaven only to return from the dead. And I certainly don't want to discredit any of those amazing accounts. But truth be told, death is a mystery to us. It's a subject matter that most of us are not comfortable with. And even if you have a strong conviction about the afterlife, how convinced are you really? I mean, the last time that you were at a funeral, what was happening with you? Did you do a little daydreaming? Wonder, did you ask any questions? Were there any doubts? Well, this morning, what I'd like to do is convey to you what the Bible has to say about death. And my objective is to present this difficult material in a more positive light. And it doesn't mean that I'm looking forward to meeting my maker just yet, or that I'm ready to go. Uh, I'm not. I'd like to stick around a little while longer. And just so you know, I'm not leveraging this theme to scare the sin or the hell out of you. (laughs) Or to force you to make some kind of decision. Again, my goal is to minimize the apprehension, the anxiety, and the fear, and increase your level of peace regarding the subject of death. And last time I looked, peace is good. How many of you like peace? Yeah, the peace that passes all understanding. So that's my objective, is to fill you with some peace this morning. And so I'd like to begin by quickly reviewing the life of Stephen. Stephen was the first Christian martyr, a man who died for his faith. His story is recorded in Acts chapters 6 and 7. And so let's read a couple of verses beginning with Acts chapter 6 and verse 8. Are you ready for this? All right, we've got a couple of you. Maybe the rest of you can catch up. All right, Acts chapter 6 and verse 8. Scripture says, now Stephen, and and you really have to follow along here, okay? Now, this is not the day to kind of daydream or count the lights. Uh, You got to really focus. You got to lock in, okay? Are you with me? All right, Acts chapter 6 and verse 8. Now Stephen was a man full of God's grace and power. 
He did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. So let's pause right here for a second. Tell me, this guy Stephen, was he a good man or a bad man? He was a good man. Scratch that, he was a great man of God. I mean, you can't do any better than the testimony that he received in the verse we just read. He was a man full of God's grace and full of the power of God. He had developed this incredible gift of mercy. He had a ton of compassion. And as a result, God used him in a supernatural way to perform signs and wonders. And everyone within the church absolutely loved him. As a leader, you could not have a better reputation than the one that Stephen had. But since Stephen was so devoted to his faith, had such a love relationship with Jesus Christ, he had enemies outside the church. And the religious leaders, the same guys that hated Jesus and put him to death, they envied Stephen and they despised him. And so they challenged him to an open debate, which was a huge mistake, because not only did he put them to shame verbally, he called them out. And Stephen humiliated the Pharisees and the religious leaders by publicly exposing their hypocrisy, the same thing that Jesus did, and that infuriated the religious leaders. Look at Acts chapter 7 and verse 51. Stephen said, you stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears. I mean, no, that's an insult. You are just like your father's. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your fathers did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him, you who have received the law that was given through angels but have not obeyed it. And when the religious leaders heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at Stephen. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God And Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him. They dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. And while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, If you can imagine that, while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep or he died. Can you begin to understand why the scripture identifies Stephen as a great man, a man full of grace, a man full of the Holy Spirit, full of the power of God, He literally had the heart of God, said the same things, reflected the same love as we see that Jesus had when Jesus was nailed to the cross. Now, in light of what we just read, I'd like you to listen to three corresponding Bible verses. And as I read these Bible verses, one right after the other, I'd like to see if you can figure out or identify what all three of these verses have in common. All right? Are you ready for this? I picked up a few more along the way. That's good. All right. Psalm 110, verse 1. 
The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand, sit at my right hand, until I make your enemies your footstool. All right, Mark 16, 19. After Jesus had spoken to them, he was received up to heaven, where he was seated at the right hand of the Father. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty. All right. Um, in all three of these verses that we just read, after Jesus was received back up to heaven, after he returned to heaven, what was his location in reference to God? He was at the right hand of God. And what was his physical posture or his body position? He was seated at the right hand of the Father. That's what all three verses say, right? Yet in Acts, Acts chapter 7, the verses we just read, a couple of minutes before Stephen was stoned to death, the Bible tells us, not once but twice, that what? Jesus was standing. Hadn't taken up his position that he was given, that the verses of Scripture throughout the Bible tell us. He wasn't seated at the right hand of the Father. He was standing there. Remember, Stephen saw him. He saw heaven open. And he said, look, I see the Son of God standing at the right hand of the Father. That's in Acts chapter 7, 55 and 56. We just read it. See, we, we get a little peek into heaven. It's as if the Holy Spirit of God pulled back the curtain and allows us to look right into the heavenlies and we see what's taking place at that moment. We see that Jesus is fully engaged. He's watching the events unfold and he's standing up. He's looking. He's engaged. He knows what's going on. Now, I don't know why Jesus didn't intercede on Stephen's behalf and shut this whole stoning episode down. I don't know why he didn't do that. I know he was capable of it. I know Jesus had the power to do that. In fact, the Bible tells us on one occasion during Jesus' earthly ministry, after he had ticked the religious leaders off again, they were so mad at him, they wanted to kill him by pushing him off the edge of a cliff. Remember that? And they had him cornered and dead to rights. And yet the Bible says that he simply escaped their cruel intentions. He, he somehow got out of there. Miraculously, after they were set to kill him. I don't know why this godly man, Stephen, this great man full of grace and full of the power of God, doing so many good things, had to die such a horrific death. I don't know why God allowed him to be stoned in this manner. Seems totally unfair to me. Like, why couldn't God have done something about it? Furthermore, I don't know why my own father had to die at the age of 55 when I was a new dad and desperately needed him. I don't know why my infant grandson, Anthony Nathaniel, wasn't allowed to live beyond eight weeks. 
I don't know why over the past couple of years so many beloved members of Community Christian Church had to depart this earth at such an early age, in their 50s and 60s and early 70s. And I'm sure you have your own situations as well. Friends, I'm sorry I don't know the answers to those questions, but here's what I do know. In every situation, heaven was watching and Jesus was engaged and there's a good possibility he might have been standing. Now, maybe that doesn't mean anything to you. Maybe that does absolutely nothing for you, but for me, it gives me great hope. It speaks volumes to me. Because Acts chapter 7, this whole story with Stephen, along with many other verses in the Bible, convinces me that no matter what I go through in this life, no matter what I face or what I encounter, including death, Jesus is in my corner. He's at my right hand. He loves me with an everlasting love. And he's fully engaged in my life. I'm convinced of that. You cannot take that away from me. Because over and over again in the scripture, I see it. And even when I don't know it, even when, when I, I, I stumble upon another situation, I see the faithfulness and the commitment of God. I know that he is always there for us. He will never leave us or forsake us. You know, if we had it our way, nobody would ever die. We would pull everybody out of the grave. And we would want no one to ever suffer any pain, ever get any aches and pains. You know, 150 years old and still not even a headache. That's how we are. We would want that for ourselves. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that we are all going to die. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27 says, as a part of this life, each and every one of us has an appointment with death. That's what it says. It's appointed unto man to die. And friend, if Jesus tarries and delays his coming, we are all going to experience the grave. Not trying to be morbid. Not trying to scare you or depress you. That is reality. The mortality rate is still 100%. I've told you that. It's going to stay 100%. But check out a very powerful scripture in Psalm 116 and verse 15. Precious, say that. Precious, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Are you kidding? Precious? Precious means of great value, highly esteemed, to be cherished and treasured. And if that's the case, if that's what precious means, how in the world could God use precious and death in the same statement with the same breath? Death is certainly not precious to us. We don't love it. We don't even like it. For most of us, death is a huge waste. But to God, it's an accomplishment. It's a completed journey. And as such, God sees death as a new beginning. Please note with me, 
in this verse, Psalm 116, verse 15, it doesn't say precious in the sight of God is death itself. It says precious is the death of his saints. Don't let that word saint trip you up. A saint is simply a believer, literally a godly man or a godly woman. And the only way that we could ever be godly or righteous in God's eyes is to believe in what Jesus did for us on the cross. Once we do that, once we lock into the Easter message that we talked about all last week, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you can go ahead and attach the word saint to the front of your name. You're a saint. I'm a saint. Long before I was PT, Pastor Tony, I was ST, Saint Tony. <laughs> We're all saints. And Psalm 116, verse 15, says there's a huge difference between the death of a believer and the death of an unbeliever. In God's eyes, the death of the believer is precious. It's to be treasured and cherished because it represents a new beginning. And for the purpose of this message today, I want to talk about the death of a believer. I'm not going to get into all of the ins and outs of the unbeliever, what they're dealing with. I'm going to talk about what happens when a believer dies. And I'm not going to get real technical this morning. I'm not going to give you every little minor detail. And I'm going to try to stay away from the big words that are hard to understand. Just going to try to keep it simple. And again, remember the objective, to increase your level of peace and take away your fear. What we do know is at the time of death, when you take your last breath, the soul is separated from the body. We know that. And if you are a believer, you have a regenerated or a reborn soul. Your soul has been empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now, just to be clear, everybody has a soul, believers and unbelievers alike. But an unbeliever's soul is dark. It's spiritually dead in trespasses and sins. That's the exact same shape we're all in, even you and I, before our salvation, before we're redeemed by the blood of Jesus. Our souls are dark, too. But after we're saved, after we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we're born again, and the soul is made alive. You understand? Okay, so we have this reborn soul. It's separated from the body at the time of death. And the body is placed in the casket and then buried into the ground. Now, some people, they opt for an above-ground burial, and they go to a mausoleum. That's usually a little bit more money. Some people, they choose to be cremated. That's usually a little less money. Personally, I'm not that crazy about cremation, and not because I see anything in the Word of God that discourages it. My only thought is, why on Resurrection Day make God's job harder than it is? I mean, come on. He's busy enough. Uh, just to be clear, though, God has the power to resurrect a cremated body whose ashes have been scattered all over creation. God can do that. I mean, no, he's powerful enough to do it. So as a believer, the body's buried or cremated and the reborn or regenerated soul, that is immediately ushered into the presence of God. 
Okay, so the soul is, comes right before the presence of God. Remember in Acts chapter 7 and verse 59, we read it earlier, just before Stephen was stoned, what did he say? Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He knew he was going to heaven. He knew exactly that's where he would be the moment after he breathed his last breath. And there was Jesus standing there, perfectly prepared to welcome him into heaven and take him to that mansion that he had already prepared for him. Additionally, in his emotional letter to the church at Philippi, Paul the Apostle said in Philippians chapter 1, verses 21 through 24, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart this earth and to be with Christ, which is far better, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Paul would never have said to die is gain unless he was absolutely convinced that the minute he breathed his last breath, he would come into the presence of God. And that's what he did believe. And so for the believer, when we die, our bodies remain in the grave, but our souls are taken into God's holy presence. And that's where our souls remain until the day of the rapture. And without going into great detail this morning, the rapture is an eschatology or end times term referring to a pretty amazing event. That event is when all Christian believers, living and dead, will receive a brand new, resurrected, glorified body. And what a day that's going to be. A brand new body. And it doesn't matter when the rapture takes place, before, during, or after the tribulation. And I know you all want before. But it doesn't matter, you know, also known as uh, pre, mid, or post-tribulation. It doesn't matter when it happens or how it happens. At the time of the rapture, there will be a spiritual resurrection for all believers, every believer who has died in our resurrected or glorified body, will be reconnected with our soul. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 16 tells us this. We hear this passage at funerals a lot. Here's what Paul said. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who die or to grieve like others who have no hope. For we believe Jesus died and rose again. How many? How many believe that? We believe Jesus died and rose again. And we also believe God will bring with Jesus those who fall asleep in him. How many believe that? Yeah, we believe that. For the Lord himself, we sang about this, the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Check this out. And so will we be with the Lord forever forever. Therefore, comfort or encourage each other with these words. This, these, what I just read should be a source of encouragement for you, to bring great comfort to you. See, this passage describes the rapture of the church. It also refers to the first resurrection, same event. The people who are alive at the time of the rapture, whatever generation that is, whether it's our generation or it's way down the road, That group of people will not experience physical death. It's the only group. Everybody else will. 
But on rapture day, all believers, say that, all believers, all believers, one more time, all believers will take part in the first resurrection and they will receive a brand new, resurrected, glorified body. Now listen to Revelation chapter 20, verse 6, and we're getting close to the end here. We're going to take communion in just a minute. Blessed and holy is the one who has part in the first resurrection because for these people, the second death has no power over them. One more time. It's a good, it's a good one to clap on, by the way, yeah. Blessed and holy is the one who has part in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them. This verse tells us that there is a great blessing and reward for everyone involved in the rapture, everyone who takes part in that first resurrection. And who, who is that for again? All believers. Remember we quoted that earlier? You, I made you repeat that. All believers. All believers take part in the first resurrection. All believers, whether you believe it, agree with it, have a different doctrine, if it happens, you're going to be a part of it. You're going to be a part of that first resurrection. You are going to receive a brand new glorified body. And the scripture here, Revelation 26, says, the second death has no power over you. How many of you are interested in what that says if you don't already know what it means? I am. Because my next question would be, what in the world is the second death? If the second death has no power over me, what is that? Well, you've got to read a little bit further in Revelation 20. And when you get to verses 11 and 12, it starts talking about it. It says, Then I saw a great white throne judgment, a great white throne, and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away. Not, not a pretty sight here. And I saw the dead the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were open, and then another book was open, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. So to answer your question, what is the second death? It's the judgment of God, also known as the great white throne judgment at the end of the age. It's where everyone gets judged. That's the second death. And what was the promise in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 6 to the believer, to you and me? The second death has no power over us. So let me ask you this question. Will Christians have to stand before God at the great white throne judgment? No, they will not. Now, you want to quote a couple verses, one in Romans and one in 2 Corinthians 5.10, that says we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ? We'll stand there. But that's a different judgment. See, the judgment seat of Christ is identified as the bema, and the bema is where rewards are passed out, not where eternal destinations are determined. Our eternal destination has already been determined during the first resurrection or the rapture. That destination is where? Heaven, forever, with God. The one standing at the great white throne judgment those are the ones whose names are not in the Lamb's book of life. They got some other books that God's going to open up. And he's the judge, thankfully. Nobody else. 
And so everybody standing in that line is going to have to negotiate with God. But that's not for you and me. So you see, we don't have to fear death. It doesn't have to be something that creates a lot of apprehension and uncertainty for us. The Bible says there is no fear in love. And we have already entered into a covenant relationship with our God through his son, Jesus Christ. It's a covenant of love. And perfect love casts out fear. You don't have to worry about death. You don't have to be so concerned about it that it keeps you up at night and and you're wondering what's going to happen to you. The Bible's very clear. You believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You open your heart to what he did on the cross. You accept his sacrifice and believe that God raised him from the dead. You shall be saved. Now, on the other hand, if you haven't yet made that commitment, if you're not fully convinced that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, then I would think that's probably a top priority for you to address that and to get that resolved. And we would be happy to lead you there. All right, let's bow our heads and prepare for communion. Father, we thank you for the promise of life that you've given to us. Jesus, your word is very clear in John chapter 10 that you came to this earth that we might have life and have it to the full. We're not just talking about an eternal life with the Father forever and ever. We're not just talking about the promise that we won't have to go through these steps later on that bring so much anxiety to people. In addition to that, in addition to the promise of the next reality, we have life here on this earth to live as well. And Father, we want to live it to the best of our ability, the call that you placed upon our lives. We're thankful that we don't have to stand on Judgment Day at that great white throne. but we get to stand at the judgment seat of Christ. And Lord, we want to live a life worthy of our calling. It's one thing to accept the message of salvation and to be saved. It's another thing to continue in the faith that you've given to us. And so, Lord, as I've directed this message to believers today, I pray, Lord, that you would challenge us to not just hold that ticket, that heavenly ticket in our hand as a life insurance policy, but Lord, to be so committed and so devoted to fulfilling the plan that you have for us. Or we heard it earlier in the prophetic word. We have a plan, we have a will, but you said... You challenged us to choose your will over ours. I pray, Lord God, that this promise of life with you forever and ever, this promise of resurrection, life, and power that you've given to us clearly in your word, that we wouldn't take it for granted, but that we would do the necessary things, Lord God, so that when we stand 
at the judgment seat of Christ that day, we won't walk away empty-handed. Minister in these closing moments, Lord, as we receive the bread and the cup together, do something deep in our hearts, Lord, that only you can do. We make ourselves available as we prepare our hearts, Lord, as we take time for self-examination. Speak to us, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. Let me repeat those words. When he shall come with trumpet sound, and we read in the verses, 1 Thessalonians earlier, it's happening. It's going to happen. The trumpet sound is going to come. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless, stand before the throne. Friend, there's only one way that we could ever be identified as righteous in God's eyes. Only one way that we could ever stand faultless before our God. And that's because of the cross. The cross is the only way. Been been singing about it all morning. The cross has the final word. There's no grace greater than the grace that took place at the cross. And during the Passover meal, when Jesus instituted the communion supper, the same supper that we partake of from month to month, after passing out the bread, after giving his disciples a chance to drink from the cup, he said, do this in remembrance of me, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you declare the Lord's death. Not his life, not his resurrection, not all the miracles that he performed, not the love that he had in his heart, not the mercy that he extended to the sinner or the healing that he gave to the blind and the leper. Every time we receive this bread and cup, every time you hold it in your hand, you declare, you talk about, you remind yourself of the death of Jesus Christ. See, the only reason we don't have to fear death is because of his death. He exchanged death for eternity for us. And so what I want to do, believer, because this message has been for you, and I'm not dismissing those in this place who might not yet be believers, But those of you who've made a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ, whether it was last week or 50 years ago, I want to lead you back to the cross. That's what Jesus said. Every time we share communion together, come back to the cross. You know, there are believers today who 
can't make their way back because they're too ashamed. They can't look God in the eye because of a failure or a current situation in your life or anger or something that you haven't been able to resolve through disappointment or depression or discouragement. I want to take you back to the cross. This is where we get right with God. This is where our faith is increased. This is where we have a chance to remind ourselves we don't have to fear death. Jesus defeated death. He took the sting of death away for us. And we can come into the presence of our great God. We can stand faultless before his throne right now, not down the road, right now because of his grace, because of his sacrifice. And for those of you who may have never gone to the cross yet, maybe you've never bowed your knee there, repented of your sins, asked Jesus into your life, you could do that this morning. You could do that today. You're one step away, one prayer away from having your name etched in the Lamb's book of life, knowing that you have the promise of eternity with him forever and ever. Let's just all go back to the cross for a moment. Father, thank you for the bread and the cup. Thank you for what it represents. We take a moment right now, Lord, just to look at our hearts. Father, we repent of those things that we say and do that are not pleasing in your sight. Your word says if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank you, Lord, for removing our sin as far as the east is from the west, giving us a brand new, clean slate today. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters that they would not run from you, they wouldn't hide from your face. Lord, we can come boldly because of the sacrifice that was already made. And for those, Lord, in this place today who've never yet fully surrendered their life to God, I pray, Lord, throughout this service, they've been reminded through the song, through the prophetic, through the message, that this is your plan. This is your best for us. Lead them, Lord, by your spirit. Show them your mercy and your love. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Be sure to go to cccsterling.org slash media for more messages from Community Christian Church.